Good morning, everyone. Now, to those of you who don't know me, uh, or indeed to those who do know me but maybe don't recognise me, I'm Derek. I'm one of the church leaders here at Ebby. And if you don't recognise me, it's simply because I have now had my hair cut. Uh, after four months in lockdown with no haircut, this is what I really look like now. It's uh, as the old saying goes, hair today, gone tomorrow. But it is my privilege this morning to be talking to you. In my old job in the finance sector, there was one phone call which the branch or the office manager always dreaded receiving. It was that phone call to say that the bank inspectors were going to be visiting to undertake a full inspection of our procedures and our controls. In a similar way, when I was chair of governors at a local primary school, again, it was that dreaded phone call that would arrive one morning to say that Ofsted were going to visit to undertake a full inspection of the school. In fact, it seems to me you've only got to mention the word Ofsted to teachers and you can literally see the blood drain from their face. But on the other hand, I might show you an advent calendar. And most people will smile at the thought that Christmas is coming, whether for the occasion itself, whether for the extended holiday or being with family and friends. Most people will enjoy the thought of Christmas coming or maybe it's some other time that you anticipate with relish. My wife Angela has a countdown app on her phone. And if you were to look at the countdowns that she has recorded, you'll find that there are countdowns to holidays, countdowns to weddings. I have yet to find Angela put a countdown on her phone for her next visit to the dentist. I wonder how many people were absolutely desperate for the 4th of July to arrive when at last the pubs and cafes and restaurants were able to reopen. Now over the last few weeks, together on a Sunday morning, we've been considering the Christian hope Jesus is coming again. And this has been a strong theme in the Apostle Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. However, none of us can set a countdown to the day when Jesus will come again. We really don't know when it's going to happen. Now, apparently, Edgar Wisnant, he was a former NASA engineer and Bible student, wrote a book entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. He followed that book up with some revised editions, quoting timescales for Jesus coming in 1989, 1993 and 1994. But apparently those latter books did not sell quite so well. I wonder why. I wonder how many people have used this current worldwide pandemic of COVID-19 as being a sure and certain sign that Jesus is coming and he's coming back real soon. Personally, I really don't think that there is much value in trying to predict the date of Jesus' coming, or even to be dogmatic about the nature of his coming. To me, the date of Jesus' coming back and the nature of his coming belongs to God. 
But we are meant to be glad that he is coming again. And we can give energy to this hope that is in us. In fact, in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he writes this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. We are meant to anticipate the coming of Jesus with happiness. And we're meant to encourage ourselves and each other with this very thought. And in my own expectation of Jesus coming again, this isn't the inspector coming. This isn't Ofsted coming. This is Christmas all over again. And you might liken your own anticipation of his coming to some other pleasant occasion that brings you gladness. But there is an excitement in anticipating something good that is yet to happen. Now our reading for this morning is in 2 Thessalonians and I'm going to start reading at chapter 2 and verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is right. So in these two letters to the church at Thessalonica, Paul has reminded us that Jesus is coming again. And as he finishes his writing, what does he say to us as to how we should live in the light of Jesus coming? And I find that reading these words at the end of Paul's second letter 
I draw this conclusion. As we anticipate Jesus coming again, it's not sit and wait, but rather stand and work. I think if we adopt a sit and wait stance, we risk these unhelpful attitudes. For example, if God is going to renew the earth when Jesus comes, what's the point in bothering to look after the planet? Or everyone's fate is set, so there's no point in making much effort to share Jesus with others. Or eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow dot dot dot. But Paul's encouragement to us is altogether different. He tells us to stand and to work. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. We should stand firm. We should stand up for what is right and good and fair. We should stand for justice and equality. We should stand for those who cannot stand for themselves and be a voice for those who do not have a voice. After all, what was Paul's concluding remarks to his first letter? He said this, we urge you, brothers and sisters, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And we should also stand up for our faith, for the truth and for love. We are, as Christians, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So sitting down and just letting the world pass by is not our calling. But equally, standing still is not what is in mind here. Standing to work is the encouragement. And Paul goes on to say, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And then, and I don't know if you think Paul's being a bit rude with this, but he's pretty direct. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy, but they are busybodies. And such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is right. As we anticipate Jesus coming again, we're supposed to get on with normal life. Work, rest and play. And I want to pay my respect to all of you in the work that you're doing. Whether that is out to work or working from home, Employed or self-employed, raising children, volunteering, studying, retired, or whatever it is that occupies your time in a helpful and meaningful way, I think we should honour one another in all of that. The work that you are doing is a calling from God upon your life. And the people that you work with need you. And they need you to do what you're meant to do. You have, we have, a God-given mandate to work hard and to do our best where we are right now. 
I don't think we're meant to treat this planet as a waiting room, just waiting for Jesus to come again. I don't think we should treat our work as incidental or secondary. You know, over recent months, for me, one of the good things that has come out of lockdown is the recognition that we have all given to people who work in shops or who drive lorries. Now, when I stood on the street on a Thursday evening at eight o'clock to applaud with the neighbours, or socially distanced, of course, to be honest, I was applauding NHS staff, care workers, shop workers, lorry drivers, parents homeschooling their children, teachers, and a whole load of other occupations that have kept our society and kept community going. Now I know that some listening to my talk right now might be thinking, ah, but I'm in the wrong job. I'm on the lookout for a new position. I hate the job that I'm doing. And I know this is going to be hard to hear, but God's calling on your life today is to work hard, to do the best you can in your today job. You may well move on. God may give you new opportunities. You may be planning to do something different, but what you do today in your work is what is the most important thing for you to be doing. But with that, we've all got another calling, and that is to integrate into our daily occupation of time a calling to be the presence of God, a calling to be doing good, to do what is right, a calling to spread the message of Jesus. And then sometimes we scratch our head and wonder, how do we do all of that on top of the day job? Let's face it, the day job itself is busy already. Now, if Jesus is our life, then we need to let our life overflow into the workplace, naturally, lovingly, continually. We don't have to be weird. We don't have to be awkward. We've just got to be ourselves. And I would contend that if my life is Jesus, then I won't be able to stop myself from making Jesus visible. And I think that when it comes to my wanting others to come to know Jesus, and I've been thinking about this a lot, but I can summarize it like this. There are two certainties and one uncertainty. The two certainties are these. I believe God will give me the opportunity to share Jesus with others. Secondly, on top of that, I believe God will give me the strength, the courage, the ability, even the very words to say when that opportunity comes my way. I think those are certainties. But the one uncertainty is my own heart. It's like when the time comes, will I say something? Will I invite my friends to Alpha? Will I offer to pray for someone's need? 
Will I speak the name of Jesus? Will I stand up for what is right? Will I fight the cause of the vulnerable? You see, the uncertainty is my heart. The opportunity will come. The ability is there. What matters is what do I choose to do at that moment in time? And I say that just to encourage us that I think we've got everything we need to share the name of Jesus. We've just got to do it. There was a person in the Bible who was afraid to stand up for his belief in Jesus. He was scared of being identified as a Jesus follower. And in fact, he even denied knowing Jesus at all. But with God's help, he changed, he took courage, and in the end, he freely spoke the name of Jesus to anyone and to everyone. And on that basis, he writes this to us. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, Jesus is coming again. And this is our Christian hope. But we have got work to do in the meantime. We have a message to share in the meantime. There are vulnerable people to care for. So my encouragement to all of us is to live our lives well in the light of Jesus coming again. Let's not sit, let's stand. Let's not wait, let's work. So Jesus is coming again, and I think we should encourage one another with those very words. And I think we should set about to work in our day job, in the normal things of life, at home, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbours. But add to that, that lovely calling to share Jesus. God will give us those opportunities. He'll give us the ability, even the words to say, we've just got to do it. And I'm, I'm talking to myself. I talk and encourage each and every one listening to this. So God bless you loads. Now really this draws the end, at least the formal end to our service. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you a little invitation. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, thank you so much for that wonderful promise that you, Jesus, are coming again. And when you do come, the fullness of the kingdom of God comes with you and there will be the full kingdom of God with no fear, no sadness, no tears, no crying, no pain, no suffering. It will be the very perfection of God himself. And Jesus, we encourage ourselves with these words. We're looking forward to the day that you're coming again. But until then, you've given us work to do. Help us, Lord. Yes, give us those opportunities and give us the ability to, to share you with others, to do well in our day job, to live our lives naturally and normally, and yet with your Holy Spirit empowering us and encouraging us. Would you help us to do that, Lord? Jesus, we're looking forward to seeing you face to face but right now it's through faith 
and trust that we follow you. We bless you, dear Jesus. Amen.